Welcome to the teaching ministry of Dr. Benji Kelly and New Hope Church. Thanks for joining us for this week's podcast and being a part of our church family. Here's Dr. Kelly with this week's podcast. How are we doing today, church? It is so good to see you in the house of God. I'm not even going to ask a show of hands of, of how many of you were kind of thinking about coming to the 845 service, but you didn't quite make the time. Oh, I see the hands popping up anyway, the spring forward, but uh, it doesn't matter. We are so thrilled that you are in the house of God today. It is going to be an unbelievable Sunday. How many of you are ready for and excited? And I'm not trying to manufacture, so don't you, don't you clap or get excited if you're not excited. How many of you are genuinely excited about reading the Bible? From Genesis to Revelation, starting on Easter Sunday morning, it is going to be incredible. But before we do any of that, come on, we want to welcome all the campuses. I want to welcome those of you who are here in the Durham Central Campus, the Coffee House Campus. I just came from being with them. They are worshiping like crazy up there. Let's keep going down through the Garner Campus in uh, the, the Water Tower town of Garner, North Carolina. Hey, you want to pray about something? Check this out. They're about to do an outreach event where they are dropping literally thousands of Easter eggs out of a helicopter to bless the community of Garner and invite people to the Easter service. It's going to be incredible. North Raleigh campus. Come on, how about the daughters in the North Carolina Correctional Institute? We have a campus and a prison, and we love, love, love you ladies. Hillsboro, Hillsboro campus started uh, on Vision Day. I so enjoyed being with the Hillsboro campus last Sunday. So great to see what God is doing there. Talking about the Sanford campus, the Columbia, South Carolina. Got some Sanford people in the house. Columbia, South Carolina, Thika Town, Kenya, Kenya campus. Right now, we love you guys. And last but not least, the internet campus. Those of you who check us out every week and have community in uh, online, it's such a great thrill to welcome all of you to this church. Today, before I get to introducing our guest speaker, I just want to remind you, today is the day that we are making all of the resources available for you to engage the story, to engage the Bible like never before. I firmly believe, deep in the core of my being, that what we are about to engage upon from March 27th through the end of November, eight months of God's Word, I believe it's going to radically change our lives individually and the life of this church. I believe it's going to impact not only us, but generations to come, church, something powerfully happens when we get into God's Word and we read it from Genesis to Revelation. And you're going to hear the author of the one who put together this book with Max Lucado called The Story. It is an abridged chronological telling of the Bible, unlike anything you've ever read. In addition to that, we have the life group curriculum and resources. The speaker that you will hear from today, who I will introduce in just a moment, has a nine-minute, eight or nine-minute video that every life group will get to watch of him continuing to unpack the story and then study the story in life groups. We have resources for the children. 
Some of you want to read the Bible and uh, Pastor Randy and I were talking about this last night at dinner. The truth is there are a lot of people in the church, and we're not real proud of this, and we're kind of sheepish about it, but the truth is there's a lot of people like in this room today, a lot of people on all, all the campuses today, who the truth is you don't really know the Bible. You want to know a great way to start to know the Bible? Read it to children. Powerful. Put a child on your lap. Put a grandchild on your lap and read the Bible, and then come alongside that and read this book. And 2016 could be the year, and I'm believing it will be the year, that you read the Bible from the front to the back, from the creation in Genesis 1 to the final amen in Genesis 22. Come on, church. So we are in for a treat. I will tell you at the end of the service where all these resources are located. We have four different stations around the campus here and at all the campus locations. They have stations as well that they will explain to you. Let's get right to our guest speaker today. His name is Pastor Randy and his wife is with him and she is just a pure delight. Roxanne Randy and Roxanne Frazee. I didn't really say this as well as I wanted to say it in the first service, but I do want to say it here publicly that Pastor Randy was a gift from God to me. Many of you have heard me share quite vulnerably over the last few months um, about a season that I, I went through, but praise be to God, I've come out of. And one of the ways in which God brought me out of the season that I was in was he placed me with a group of pastors that have become dear friends of mine and they have blessed me. And, and Randy, I just wanna say to you, thank you for being someone who has gone ahead of me and before me and thank you for your friendship. It means more than words could ever say. Let me tell you a little bit about Randy. He is the senior minister at Oak Hills Church in San Antonio, Texas. Any Texas people in the house? Where are y'all's big old hats and big boots and big belt buckles, huh? Everything's big in Texas. He, he, they, they serve a church called Oak Hills in San Antonio, Texas, one of the largest churches in America where Randy teaches and leads in partnership with the pastor and author Max Lucado, an emerging leader and innovator in spiritual formation and biblical community. Randy is the architect of the story and a new series called Believe that we might do in the years ahead. It's a theological study. Once we learn the Bible, which is full of theology, of course, then we can start to think more theological and have a biblical worldview. He is the author of Think, Act, and Be Like Jesus, the heart of the story. He's the author of The Connecting Church 2.0. He's the author of The Christian Life Profile Assessment and co-authored The Believe Devotional and Real Simplicity with his wife, Roxanne. And what's not included in his bio, and by the way, my assistant had to connect with his assistant to get the bio because he wouldn't probably want me to tell you any of that. He was also on staff and led the teaching team at the one and only Willow Creek Community Church up in Chicago. We are incredibly blessed to have this couple and this man of God in our church. And I've told him that he's about to speak to one of the friendliest congregations on the planet. And I told him that because that's who you are. I told him how you love guests, speaker. So New Hope, 
just be you. And I want you to give a warm welcome to the man of God in the house of God about to preach the word of God, Pastor Randy Frazee. Good morning, everybody. You take a, uh, a little Southern hospitality and add Jesus to it, uh, you get something very special for a guest, and you have provided that for us, and we have been looking forward to this, and it has not been disappointing. Um, so uh, I architected this journey that you're going on called The Story, and so it would seem appropriate that um, a guy who does a thing called The Story would at least tell a story, right? So do you mind if I start off with a story? Just a story. Uh, okay, let me, um, okay, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you the story of how your pastor and I met. Would that be a good one? Okay, so it was about a year or two ago. Uh, as you know, your pastor likes to hunt and fish. You know that about him. So he was, uh, 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 he came down to Texas to do some duck hunting. And uh, he was uh, out in a field and he shot a duck. Uh, the duck fell on the other side of this fence. And so he crawled over the fence to get the duck, and on the other side of the fence was a farmer, old farmer, sitting on a tractor. And the old Texas farmer said, uh, what are you doing? And Benji said, I'm here to get my duck. And the Texas farmer said, well, you can't have the duck, it's on my private property. <laughs> now, you may or may not know this about Benji, I'm not surprised that he didn't tell you this part, uh, but Benji said, well, I don't think you know who I am. <laughs> he says, uh, I'm the pastor of a mega church in North Carolina. We have lawyers in our church who will sue you pro bono for me, and you lose everything you have, farmer, if you don't let me have my duck. It's embarrassing, but it's just, it's, it's uh, well, well, the old Texas farmer said, back to Pastor Benji, well, that's not how we do things here in Texas. And Benji said, well, how do we, you do things in Texas? He says, well, we have what we call here the Texas three kick rule. And Benji said, well, what's that? And the old Texas farmer says, well, basically I kick you three times and you kick me back three times and we go back and forth till one of us gives up and that's how we determine who gets the duck. You know, Benji's kind of broad shoulders, strong guy. He looks at this old, old Texas farmer and says to himself, I can take this guy. So he says, you're on. Well, the Texas farmer gets off the tractor with his old big Texas boots and says, I'll go first. And the first kick comes to a place, Benji's anatomy we can't talk about in church, but he falls straight to the ground in excruciating pain. The second kick comes to his rib cage, and the story, as it was told to me, is it either bruised his ribs or probably broke several of them, and he was really hurting. But before he could quit, the last kick comes across his head and he sees stars and he passes out for a few moments. But you know this guy, he is tough as nails and he shakes it off and stumbles but gets up to his feet and puts both hands on his side and he looks the old Texas farmer in the eyes and he says, now old farmer, it's my turn. <laughs> to which the farmer says, no, nah, I give up, you can have the duck. <laughs> That's a good story. Well, here's how we met. So that old farmer goes to our church in Texas. 
He came to church on Sunday, I kid you not, came down during the altar call to confess what he did to this pastor of North Carolina. I felt so bad, I picked up the phone and called your pastor, and that's how we met. Now, when you tell a story, you need to know that there are two types of stories. There are fictional stories, and there are non-fictional stories. One is not true, the other is completely true. You know what kind of story this is, right? It's a fictional story. You all know that he missed every duck he shot at. Now, for the rest of the time, I'm gonna tell you nonfiction stories. I'm gonna tell you true stories. And I'd like, to, I'd like to tell you my story next. Is that okay? Okay. So, the truth is, I didn't grow up in Texas. I actually grew up in Cleveland, Ohio. That's where I grew up. I grew up in an unchurched home, meaning my parents never took us to church. But uh, my parents didn't dislike Jesus. Uh, Jesus just didn't make the short list of priorities in their life. There's probably people you know right now. Maybe some of you are here, drug here. I don't know why we drug you on Spring Forward Sunday, but here you are. And, um, and you're not against Jesus. It's just day to day, Monday through Saturday, that he's just not a big deal to you. That was my parents. But I did have two spiritual deposits in my life. The first came in the form of a ceramic prayer plaque that hung over my bed. And I said this prayer every night when I went to bed. If you know it, say it with me. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. Hmm. Let me ask you a question. What kind of sick person <laughs> writes a prayer like that for kids, right? You know, every night it's not dreams of sugar plums dancing in my head. Every night I thought to myself, this just could be it for me. <laughs> and what are my chances that the Lord's going to take my soul? My parents never take me to church. The second spiritual deposit came in the form of a Bible that my grandmother gave me. She gave one to me and one to my sister. I still have mine to this day. Um, mine is uh, black, fake leather, uh, King James Version of the Bible with a cross zipper on it. And it sat in the bookshelf between our bedrooms. And I remember very distinctly as a kid, even though I didn't go to church, I would walk past the bookshelf and I just sensed, even at that stage, that there was something in this book that I needed to know. As a matter of fact, on hot summer days in Cleveland without air conditioning growing up, if everything was still and quiet in the house, if you walked into that hallway, it's almost as though you could hear it breathing. And I remember several times very distinctly pulling the Bible off the shelf and unzipping it, and I would lay it down on the floor. I'd fold up my legs and crisscross them and take the palm of my hands and stick them under my chin and I would begin to read and I would read and read. After about 10 to 15 minutes, I would always surrender with a sigh. I would close it up, zipping it back up, stick it on the shelf and go about my business. I read it, but I didn't get it. Anybody feeling me? 
on this. It's hard to understand. Apparently, I'm not alone. Research tells us that the average family in America owns four Bibles, and yet 41% of them confess to never reading it. The Bible remains to this day the best-selling book of all times, but it's not necessarily having a best-selling impact on people's lives. So we ask ourselves the question, what's the cause? What's the cause of this? Interestingly, the cause is not a lack of interest. Research tells us that the average person, the majority of people, not just people in church, but your neighbors and coworkers who don't go to church, have reading through the Bible on their bucket list. Did you know that? The things they want to do before they kick the bucket. Right up there with climbing Mount Everest and jumping out of an airplane is reading through the Bible. And I can tell you this, some people feel like climbing Mount Everest might be a little bit more accessible to them than the Bible. So there are other people who sense that there's something in this book that we need to know. As you go through this journey, you're going to discover that the story of God is in your Bible is not organized chronologically, but it's organized topically. Some of you knew that, some of you didn't. There is just one story of God, but the 66 books that you hold in your hand that are in fact the Bible, the Holy Bible, is not organized as a story, even though it is a story. So if you try to read it, Genesis through Revelation, the newcomer to it is gonna be very confused at what's going on. They are. Your pastor's vision in taking you through, I think, the first ever eight-month series is because he desperately wants you to see the one story. If you will see the one story of God from beginning to end, you are going to be overwhelmed by how long this God has been tracking you down you're going to discover that he, he knew of you before the foundation of the world. He's been waiting for you to arrive on the scene and he's already prepared over thousands of years a plan to get you back into the garden. You're going to be overwhelmed when you see it. The gospels do not begin in the book of Matthew. The gospel began on the very first page of the Bible and you're going to see it. As a matter of fact, if you're taking notes, write this down. When you see the whole story, it has tremendous power in our lives. When you see the whole story, it has tremendous powers in our lives. As you're going through this journey over the next eight months, I'm going to invite you to note that whenever people in the Bible lost their way, good spiritual leaders would gather them all together, adults and children, and they would, to get them back on track, they would tell them the story in chronological order. Why? Because they wanted to get them recalibrated into where God, to, to where God has brought them to this point and then challenge them to realign their life to the story that God is telling. We see this in the life of Moses. We see this in the life of Joshua. We see this in the leadership of Ezra. 
We even see it in the life of Jesus between his resurrection and his ascension. He's walking on this seven-mile road from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and he's talking to two guys who don't recognize him, and what does he do? He tells them the story in chronological order, pointing out that all along the story has been pointing to the event of his resurrection. That's pretty powerful. And whenever people see the story, amazing things happen in their lives, today included. One of my favorite chapters of the 31 you're going to be studying is chapter 28. The reason this is where we become characters in the story of God. This chapter introduces us to a brand new community that God is creating from scratch called the church. The primary role of the church is threefold. Number one, to invite people to overturn the decision that Adam made for us that has ruined our lives. We now have the opportunity to overturn his decision that keeps us separated from God. We are to tell people that an, an option is available. Number two, to become a part of this family. And number three, to point people to the second coming of Jesus. The purpose of Israel, the first community that God created to unfold his plan was to point people to the first coming. Our job is to point people to the second coming where Jesus Christ will establish and recapture the original vision of being in the garden. Once again, the biblical history is not a line, but rather it is a circle where God is on the way to getting us back to where we started. Read Genesis 1 and 2, the first two chapters of the Bible, then skip to the end and read the last two chapters of the Bible and see if they don't sound very, very similar. What God had envisioned in the beginning, all the things in between from Genesis 3 all the way to Jude, get us all the way back to the beginning again. It's pretty powerful stuff. Now, <clears throat> what you need to know is that um, on page 398, some of you have already got your story, uh, or Acts chapters 1 and 2, the church is born. This time, the Spirit of God is taking up residence, not in a temple made with stone, but rather in a temple with sneakers on. In the Old Testament, it was a, 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 a tent, it was a building, but now it is in actual people who embrace the message of Jesus. Why? So that the presence of God could be on the move wherever God wanted his presence to be so that people could hear the good news of Jesus. Here's what's happening. Ordinary people were infused with power and began to do extraordinary things. Now, we're going to see, as, in, as with the life of Jesus, so with the founding of the church, the Jewish religious leaders at that time struggled with Jesus and his bride. Why? Because it's kind of odd, isn't it, that the, the very people that God used to bring us Jesus are now threatened by Jesus and threatened by his church. Is it because they missed the forest through the trees? That's possible, but I think the real reason is a heart problem. They didn't want to see him. They didn't want to see him. So this guy named Stephen courageously stands up in front of these uh, Jewish intellectuals and he begins telling them the story in chronological order. 
Stephen, like so many other characters in the Bible, is not qualified for this assignment. He has not been to seminary. And yet, we discover in the story, you're going to see it now in this story and throughout the scriptures, that, um, and in, in the case of Stephen, he had been just assigned in the chapter before the task of busboy. His job in the church was to serve food to the Gentile widows who were coming into the church by droves. And we're going to see in the story that God oftentimes, if not almost all the time, chooses unqualified people to do his work so that his power is seen through them. God loves to use ordinary people to do great things. And all the church shouted amen to that. The Jewish religious leaders begin hearing Stephen and they think to themselves, we're going to intellectually take this guy down in seconds. But they didn't count on the power of the one within him. On page 398 of the story, or Acts chapter 6 and verse 10, it reads, But they could not stand up against the wisdom of the Spirit gave him as he spoke. Stephen tells the story to them uh, in chronological order, linking all of the lower stories together to tell the one upper story of God. He begins by telling them the story of Abraham, and then the story of Isaac, then the story of Jacob. He moves in chronological orders to rest a little bit on the 12 sons of Jacob. Then he points out the particular story of one of Jacob's sons named Joseph. Then he moves to the story of Moses and the giving of the Ten Commandments and the building of the tabernacle. Then he moves to the story of uh, Joshua and his entering of the land. Then he moves to the story of the prophets of the Old Testament and how they predicted the coming of Jesus, the Messiah. Then he ended the telling of a story where they were at in history, and that is with the life of Jesus. Then Stephen courageously looks these Jewish leaders in the face and tell them and form them that they just crucified God. Whenever people hear the story, it enters into their head and moves to their hearts. Something powerfully happens. There's no neutral experience. It'll either be positive or it'll be extremely negative. In their case, it was extremely negative in the spirit of Jack Nicholson. They can handle the truth. <laughs> they picked up stones and took Stephen outside of the town to kill him, to stone him to death. As you have heard from so many other people who are seconds away from death, he sees Jesus who's coming to get him. This is what it says in Acts chapter 7, verses 55 through 56, or it's found on page 398 of your storybook. This is how it reads. But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, looked up to heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said. I see heaven open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. These resistors, the story tells us, didn't want to hear Stephen shouting this out loud, so they covered their ears and they shouted, blah, 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 which in Hebrew means blah, 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 blah. <laughs> they didn't want to hear it, what he saw. I want you to take note, every other time in the Bible where Jesus is referred to being next to the Father, he is always sitting. So as to communicate, he is royalty. He is calm. He's not sweating over your situation. He's got things under control. 
But in this one instance, Jesus is standing next to the Father. Why? I think Jesus is standing in honor of Stephen, the first martyr. And he's saying to him, you honored me in the lower story. Now I stand next to my father and honor you in the upper story. Stephen, keep your eyes focused on me and you'll be with me in just a few minutes. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Here's something you're going to discover in the story. And that is that the story isn't finished yet. The story that you hold in your hand has 31 chapters. We live between chapters 30 and chapter 31. The story isn't finished yet, so you know what that means? It means that you and I are characters in the unfolding of the one grand love story of God. And you have a choice to make. If you're taking notes, write this down. We all have a choice on the kind of character we're going to play. Everybody is a character in the unfolding of God's story. You have a choice to make. What kind of character are you going to play? There are two types of characters in every story. There are protagonists and there are antagonists. The protagonist is someone who is for God in God's story. And an antagonist is someone who is against God. Stephen chose to be a protagonist, and he was assigned the task of a busboy martyr. But we're going to learn that there are other types of people that God uses, and that is antagonists. Let me give you an example. You'll notice at the end of Stephen's story that we're introduced to a new character by the name of Saul, S-A-U-L. Page 399 of the story, Acts 758, reads this way. Meanwhile... The witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul, and Saul approved of their killing him. This young man, Saul, was not a busboy martyr, but he chose to play the role of maitre d' murderer. Here's the deal. Either way, God uses your story. You say, give me an example of that. As the story picks up in the next chapter, we see Paul is turning his attention to persecuting the church himself, starting in the city of Jerusalem. Now, one of the things you're going to discover, and I'm going to invite you to look at over this eight-month journey, is in the Bible, there are two stories being told at the same time. You've heard me mention it already. There is the lower story and there's the upper story. The lower story is the story from the perspective of the individual character. It's like in your story. You're seeing your life now unfold from your point of view. But there is an upper story where God, from his point of view, is taking all of the lower stories and he's weaving them together to tell his one story. It is a powerful, powerful thing to catch. And in the lower story, Saul thinks from his point of view that he is snuffing out this movement called the church. From his point of view, he's really making a difference. But from the upper story point of view, God is seeing how Saul is actually furthering the cause of the church. He's not snuffing out the church, but God is using his hatred toward the church, using it, not causing it, using it to cause the comfortable believers in Jerusalem to leave Jerusalem and move to Judea and Samaria. And by Saul's 
participation from a position of an antagonist, he single-handedly spread the church out of Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, and to the rest of the world. He thought he was snuffing out the church, but from the upper story, God was using his hatred toward the church to spread the church like a virus. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Hmm. Something else you need to know is that it's never too late in the story to change the kind of character role you play. Let me tell you a little bit about Saul. Saul is visited by Jesus in the story and given an opportunity to change teams. And he decides, after all he had done, that he was going to change teams. And as a result, he accepts the message of Jesus and he receives a new identity, therefore a new name. He moves from Saul simply to Paul. And you know the story. You're going to read it. Paul is responsible in the second half of his life for starting 10 churches and writing 13 of the 27 books of the New Testament. There are two types of people from the Bible's point of view. There are Jewish people and Gentiles. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Raise your hand if you are not Jewish. Anybody not Jewish? On the count of three, let's say thank you to Paul because God gave him the role of bringing the gospel of Jesus Christ to Gentiles. Ready? One, two, three. Thank you, Paul. Thank you, Paul. That's good. What God did for Paul, he can do for you today. He can change your story. Can I come back to mine for just a moment? So at the age of 14... Uh, a neighbor, uh, two doors down, who worked with my dad, invited me and my younger sister, who received the White Bible, to their summer vacation Bible school. I was 14 years old. The year 1974. 55. <laughs> Some of you engineer types, you're not going to be able to listen to the rest of my story until you do the math. The answer is... 55, double nickel. I had never been in church before. For the very first time I went the first night, I simply heard what Jesus did for me to cover my sins and to give me life with him. I understood it. I went back. That was on a Tuesday night. I went back on a Wednesday night. Now, you need to understand that this was the era in the 1970s. Some of you are too young for this. In the 1970s, everything was themed around the imminent rapture of believers like every message was and the idea is simply this there were movies out like the cross and the switchblade some of you might have seen that in the 70s there was a song that went like this in the movie two men walking up a hill one disappears but one's left standing still i wished we'd all been ready the basic idea is this is that jesus is coming back at any moment like a thief in the night and if you are not ready, you have not received him, you will not be ready. Those who have will be raptured up in an instant, but the rest will be left behind to ultimately face the fiery pits of hell. I was 14 years old. <laughs> now, I don't think that the teachers said this explicitly, either in the youth service or the big church service explicitly, but they certainly implied it. And this is what I heard. Jesus was coming back at the end of vacation Bible school on Friday, on Friday. 
Jesus is coming back on Friday. So I heard the message on Tuesday, understood it, came back, heard it on Wednesday. It, they said the exact same thing. Went home on Wednesday, kneeled at my bed underneath the ceramic prayer, prayer plaque I introduced you to, and I said an innocent, simple prayer, but I wasn't sure that it took. And I'm running out of time. I am running out of time. So I've got to decide. I've got to talk to a professional either Thursday night or Friday night. That's my options. I decided on Thursday night because I wasn't sure if Jesus was coming back at the beginning or the end of Vacation Bible School on Friday. So on Thursday night, um, I decided to talk to a particular person. In the 70s, it was also the era of the bus ministry. This is how unchurched kids got to church. My neighbor two doors down who invited us was the driver of the church bus, and the captain of the church bus was a portly Italian man by the name of Paul Villar. Paul Villar. Uh, I decided to talk to Paul Villar for two reasons. Number one, I was establishing a relationship with him on the bus to and from church. And number two, both in the youth service and in the adult service, they kept quoting him. And Paul said, I beseech you, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercies, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy, pleasing to God, which is your reasonable. I kid you not. I remember, I remember they kept quoting him. And one time I looked back, and he was holding up the back wall. And I said to myself, he never talks like that on the bus. But he must be the go-to guy because they keep quoting him. So I went after the youth service on Thursday night, between the youth service and the, I went to Paul Villar and said, I need to professionally receive Jesus as my savior. And it turns out Paul didn't know whether to spit or to wind his watch. He sent me to the youth pastor who took me back into the youth room. We, we knelt on the front row of the youth room and I said a more eloquent prayer to ask for forgiveness of my sins and receive Jesus in my life and confess him with my mouth. And I thought to myself when I was done, man, did I get this under the wire? Did I just get this in the nick of time? Man, was, how could I be so lucky to get it the day before? <laughs> the day before. So Friday, I wake up and I've got so many things to do. You can just imagine, right? Women, you'll appreciate this. The first thing I need to do is decide what I'm going to wear for all eternity. <laughs> so you, you get this, right? What am I going to wear for all eternity? The outfit that goes with everything, right? And so uh, I came from a very uh, lower income, uh, middle class, lower income, uh, blue collar family. And so we had kind of just basic clothes, but I did have this one uh, red sort of country club sport coat, you know, with the gold medallion on it that I never wore. I thought, I'm pulling that out. And I'll tell you why, because I heard in these messages that God owns the cattle of a thousand hills and I'm going to inherit all that. I go, I might as well start living like it now. So <laughs> you could have never, you could have never worn that in East Cleveland where I grew up, but in heaven, <laughs> I'm wearing the sport coat. So uh, the next thing I have to do is it gets close to time to leave for Friday. Telling you the honest to goodness truth is I had to say goodbye to my parents. <laughs> there just wasn't time to tell them, you know, in a way, I couldn't figure out how to tell them, and so I didn't. I just went over to them, it's before I left, the bus came, and I, in a very emotional way, I said, bye. It's been great. Good luck. And they, were, they looked at me like weird, I'm like, 
it all makes sense in just a little bit. And so I go to Vacation Bible School on Friday. Vacation Bible School comes and Vacation Bible School goes and no Jesus. I thought to myself, how could I have missed this? I don't understand. But I was ready. I went back home, said hello to my parents. That was a little awkward. <laughs> I'm back. Uh, the first act as a follower of Jesus is I took down my ceramic prayer plaque and I did a little editing. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I know the Lord, my soul, he'll take. I'm ready, baby. I'm ready. That was 42 years ago. And I'm still ready. I've learned that the number one assignment of my life is simply to align my lower story with his upper story. My number one assignment is to make my story his story. And if I do that, I will make history. And the same is available to you. You could be in a place right now as a follower of Jesus where your lower story doesn't seem all that great right now. But I tell you the truth, church, if you know him, he promises this is not how your story ends. He promises goodness to all of you. He's writing an upper story for your life, and it is grand. That's what you're about ready to experience. I'm married. My wife is here, sitting next to Benji and Amy Lee. And uh, we have four grown children that all know Jesus. And, but what I didn't tell you is that I'm now a grandfather. Whoa! And just like my grandmother, I gave my granddaughter a Bible. I did. But the difference, when she pulls it off the shelf and lays down on the floor and tucks the palm of her hands under her chin and folds her leg up and crisscrosses them to read it, the difference is her Baba is on the floor with her, helping her to see God's love for her and to help her see that she has an important role to play in the unfolding of this grand story and that I promise to her with every breath I have until the last one is given that I will do my best to help her see this Sometimes with my words, but prayerfully with the message of my life. My daughter, uh, Jennifer, as one night we were reading the story on the floor together, she, without permission, had an iPhone and took a picture of us doing just that. Would you like to see it? You sure? Okay, take a look at the screen. Chapter 24, Jesus the... Teacher. Teacher. Yay. Yay. Jesus told the people, love God and love your neighbor as much as you love yourself. A man asked, who is my neighbor? Jesus answered his question with a story. 
One day, a man was walking down the road. Suddenly, some robbers jumped out. They hit the man and stole everything that he had. No, he hit that man. That's right. And suddenly, they ran away, leaving him lying in the dirt. Soon, a priest came along, but he passed without helping him. Then, a leader of the church came along, but he didn't stop to help him either. Finally, a Samaritan came down the road. Is that Samaritan? Uh-huh. And he saw the injured man. He felt sorry for him and quickly jumped off of his donkey and ran over to help. The Samaritan bandaged the man's sores, put him on his donkey and took, donkey and took him to an inn where he could get better. Then Jesus asked, Who was a neighbor to the injured man? The man replied, the Samaritan who helped him. Yep, Jesus said, be kind like that man. Now listen to this. Yep, Jesus told stories to teach people. You can learn from Jesus' stories too. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the folks of uh, New Hope Church. And I pray for folks right now that are ready to become a protagonist in your story, that they would not resist any longer, but that they would bow their knee to you and become a character who is telling your story and to experience the blessings of being on this side of your story. And Father, for those uh, in this congregation who know family and neighbors and coworkers and friends uh, who don't attend church, who are far from you, I pray, Father, that you would give them the courage to reach out and to invite and to bring them to this amazing experience so they might be able to discover, some for the first time, the amazing way that you have been tracking them down. And, Father, for those in the congregation who's in their lower story right now, there's a lot of trouble and there's a lot of mess and there seems to be no way out, would you infuse them with your hope and your strength right now to know that if they love you and are called according to your purpose, you promise this is not how their story ends. You have a good ending for them. May they rest in that today. In the name of Jesus Christ and all the church said, amen. Thank you very much. Thanks for being a part of this week's podcast. If you have any prayer requests or praises, we'd love to hear from you. Just email our pastors and staff at prayers at newhopenc.org, and we would love to pray for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of New Hope, just stop by one of our campuses or visit us online at newhopechurch.org. We hope you'll join us next week for the podcast, and thanks for being a part of our church family.